Hello and welcome everyone to the Bring the Sting podcast. As always, I'm your host, Evan Birchmore, coming at you on Monday, October the 17th, 2022. And on today's show, our season preview and prediction episode is here. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Hornets basketball returns this week. I could not be more excited. I know you guys are excited as well. I'm really excited for this episode. I'll give my preview and my prediction for the Charlotte Hornets this year. I'll speak about what I think their ceiling is, what I think their floor is. Will they hit the win total over or under? Who's going to be the most improved player? Who's going to be the best young player? And who's going to be the MVP for Charlotte this year? And I'll be joined by the guys from Queen City Control Room for a fantastic guest interview where we'll speak about our expectations for the season. But before we dive into all of that, guys, two days until Hornets basketball, the final entry on the jersey number countdown, number two has been worn by Larry Johnson, Dale Ellis, Scott Burrell, Stacey Ogman, Melvin Ely, Dontel Jefferson, AC Law, Sean Livingston, John Ajot, Marvin Williams, and LaMelo Ball have all worn the number two, and James Booknight will wear number two this season. All right, guys, preview and prediction time. Let's get into it. Starting off with the ceiling for the Hornets. I've said it before, guys, but I'll reiterate the ceiling for the Hornets, in my opinion, is this. The 10th seed. That's right, the 10th seed. And if you have a differing opinion, I'm always open to it. Please let me know, but let me know your logic behind it as well. This is just my take on the situation, guys. I don't see a situation. I don't see a path to the ninth seed or higher for you this year. It's hard for me to see that. And the 10th seed might be generous, guys, all things considered. But you were 10th seed last year. You were the 10th seed the year before. I think you can make it a three-peat, get back to the 10th seed this year. But the East... The East is a beast. No longer is the Eastern Conference going to be called the Leastern Conference, right? It's a gauntlet, guys. There are nine legitimate teams ahead of you, and I just don't see a path to you surpassing any of those teams, barring injury or barring something unforeseen, right? Let's rattle them off. The Heat, the Bulls, the Sixers, the Cavs, the Bucks, the Celtics, the Raptors, the Nets, and the Hawks. Guys, I can't put you ahead of any of those teams, right? I mean, the Hawks blew you off the floor last year in the play-in. They added DeJounte Murray. The Nets are running it back with their big three. Ben Simmons hardly even played last year. Now he's back. You add the Raptors, who are a good team. The Celtics get Malcolm Brogdon. The Bucks are going to have Middleton again this year. The Cavs adding Donovan Mitchell. The Sixers get Montrez Harrell and P.J. Tucker. James Harden taking less money. The Bulls, Lonzo's hurt, but the Bulls were a very good team last year. And the Heat were basically a Jimmy Butler three-pointer away from getting to the finals. And that's not even to mention the Wizards with a healthy Bradley Beal, the Knicks adding Jalen Brunson, the the Pacers who could be a sneaky good team, the Pistons could be a sneaky good team, the Magic could be a sneaky good team. Guys, that's every team in the conference. There is no walkover. And again, so this isn't me being pessimistic. This is me being realistic. The East is loaded. And with that said, it's going to take your best night in, night out to just get to the 10th seed, right? And so that to me is your ceiling, barring something unforeseen. And hey, it's the plan, and it's it's do or die, it's win or go home. So maybe you get to the plan and just are really hot from three, and you're able to win, right? You've lost in blowout fashion the past two years. It's kind of felt like you've been kind of running on fumes down the stretch run of the season. You've had these good starts and kind of fizzled out. Gordon Hayward's gotten hurt both years, and last year was just a bad performance all around in that play-in game, right? It was a, an all-systems failure type of a night, right? But you have guys on your team capable of lighting it up. Again, a do-or-die one-game situation. Could Kelly Oubre go out and make seven or eight threes and you win a game because of that? Sure. 
could Terry Rozier go get hot from three and you win a game? Yeah. But could those guys go cold and you lose? Well, yeah, you saw that last year. So again, that to me is your ceiling. And honestly, barring something unforeseen, I don't see it changing. Again, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm trying to be realistic. The East is just really, really good. Like incredibly good compared to what it used to be. And it happened at a bad time. But again, geography is not your fault. But at the end of the day, the competition is the benchmark. That's what I always like to say, guys. It's not your fault you're in the East, but you have to compete against those teams. At the end of the day, that's what you're going to be measured against. And that leads me into the floor for this ceiling, guys. I hate to say it. To me, the floor is 13th. To me, the floor is 13th. And that's that's assuming you finish ahead of two teams, whether it be Detroit, Orlando, Indiana, somebody not mentioned, but... You know, Indiana, Detroit, and Orlando, I think would be the three obvious choices for the bottom three. And if you stay healthy, relatively healthy, right, and nothing major happens between now and the end of the year, I think it's 12th. But I had to bake in a little bit of Gordon Hayward's probably going to miss time. LaMelo's already going to miss time. You know, what happens as far as maybe trading assets or trading trading players rather for future assets, right? Draft capital and clearing cap space, in which case you, you'd obviously slip down the standings. So I'm going to say 13th because you can't bank on the fact that those teams aren't going to get any better either. Again, Orlando, Detroit, Indiana. I mean, there are no bad teams really in the NBA, right? Obviously, but especially in the East. And if any team I think is just going to tank the year, it'd be Indiana. But outside of that, I mean, Detroit and Orlando aren't tanking. I think they're trying to go for it this year and nobody else is going to tank. So this is not the West where you have Utah and San Antonio both kind of kind of taking a pass on this season and playing for ping pong balls, trying to get Victor in next offseason's draft, guys. But the West, I think it's fair to say, will be the the weaker conference this year. Even though the champion came out of the West last year, I think the East top to bottom will be better, which is unfortunate for you, and it definitely lowers your floor. All right, win total, guys. Win total. Currently at FanDuel.com, it's 34 and a half. You'll get a different number depending on where you go. But generally, it's been kind of in that mid to low 30s kind of a range. And that's right on the right on the number of what I'm predicting you to be. I got you a half game under that, guys. I got you this season at 34 and 48, all things considered. And again, nothing unforeseen happening. 34 and 48, guys, that would probably put you in that 11, 12, 13 range rather than that kind of 9, 10, 11 range, right? I hope that I'm wrong on that. I hope they prove me wrong. I hope they sur- uh, surpass that. But just all things considered, guys, that's kind of where I see you at right now, kind of a, a mid-30s win kind of a team. And maybe you surpass that. I mean, again, Steve Clifford, kind of a good regular season kind of a coach, and playing hard can get you some extra dubs in the NBA in the regular season because not every team's playing for the regular season, right? I mean, you might get a situation where – you know, there's certain teams, the Warriors, the Bucks, the the Lakers. I mean, certain teams who have kind of been there and done that and have that have that equity, if you will, can kind of take a pass on the regular season. Maybe you can get some extra wins picked up that way as well. All right, guys, superlatives for the Hornets. Most improved Hornets player. He's He may be an obvious choice, but guys, P.J. Washington is my vote. P.J. Washington, a guy who I think is just going to have the opportunity to be more improved this year if nothing else. And I think the opportunity presenting itself to him is going to manifest in him being the most improved. You'll see it in his stats. You'll see it in his minutes. He's going to start at the four this year. I think it's a big year for him. It's a contract year, so he has incentive to go out and play well. 
I think big things are coming for PJ. Best young player on the team, guys. Again, young player, last two draft classes. Guys, I'm high on JT Thor this year. I think JT Thor, I don't think he has the highest upside of that group, but I think he's the closest to his upside of that group, right? I think he's the closest to, to maxing out himself as a player of that group. And so I think he's the closest to being a big contributor this year. I think for this year, and maybe it changes in the future, but for this year, I got JT Thor as your best young player. Hornets MVP, guys, couldn't be anybody else. Lamella Ball. And you'll see it when he's out to start the season, right? I hate that he's out to the very beginning of the year. But he is the straw that stirs the drink, guys. He is what everything is revolved around here. This is going to be the year we find out. He's obviously a great player, right? All-star and great player. But this is going to be the year where we find out, is he the kind of a guy who can put a franchise on his back and overcome adverse situations, right? And not to say that it's been easy so far, that he's had a ton of talent around him, but there are certain players who can kind of elevate their surroundings. And there are other certain players who, no matter how good they are, they kind of, they fit their surroundings, right? You think about just, you know, it's not a fair comparison, but there are just certain players who elevate their surroundings, right? You think like LeBron or Giannis, or they get to these teams and change the culture. They kind of bring a culture of winning to places that maybe haven't had it for a long time or ever. Is LaMelo that level of a player or is he just a really, really good player, right? That I think is going to be answered to a large degree this year and everything that happens this year, any path to a successful year for the Hornets involves him. It's got to be LaMelo Ball. Hornets MVP, guys, will be LaMelo Ball. All right, guys, that'll wrap it up for this portion of the show. Thank you all for tuning in to the Bring the Sting podcast, guys. I am excited. Hornets basketball is back. We're back to weekly episodes, guys, Monday episodes. Bring the Sting podcast. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Queen City Control Room guest interview coming up right after this, guys. Don't want to miss that. A fantastic conversation with those guys. We'll be talking everything Charlotte Hornets. Again, don't want to miss that. Shout out to those guys for joining the show. And shout out to you all, the listeners, for tuning in. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next Monday. Until then, go Hornets. All right, everybody, help give me a warm welcome to the guys behind Queen City Control Room. I got Nicholas Taylor and Josh Taylor here with me this afternoon. Guys, how are you doing? Thank you for joining the show. Doing good. How are you, Evan? We're doing well. You know, Hornets basketball starts this week. Um, honestly, just excited to get some real games going on. I, I like the offseason as well, but I got to be honest, man, I love breaking down games as well. And I'm just excited that the NBA is back. I know we've had preseason past several days but uh you know ready for the games to start counting in the standings for sure i think it'll be good especially to start off with the hornets uh in a game that'll probably be one of the few that they're actually favored in this season so <laughs> hopefully start the season off on a good note here and uh, see how the team starts to gel especially without Lamelo on the floor right for sure yeah, that's interesting you bring up. And one of the things I know we we have down to uh, to speak about is that over-under win total set by Vegas, right? And depending on the site you go to, you get a different number. But I think pretty consistently it's kind of in that mid-30s sort of a range. Um, it actually came down. I looked at it over the offseason. I, I forget when, uh, several weeks ago at this point. And I think it was 36, 36 and a half maybe. Down at 34 and a half on FanDuel right now. But opening night against the Spurs is a game that they, on paper at least, would have a good shot to win. How do you guys see that game playing out? I mean, San Antonio clearly tanking. You know, they're trying to get 
they're trying to get Victor next year, as are, you know, several other teams. I think Charlotte can pull it out, but it's also the NBA. Weird things can happen. Yeah, for sure. In San Antonio, I don't think we've seen a team this bad since Greg and everybody tanked to get Tim Duncan back in the day. So I think the Hornets do have a really good shot. I mean, I think the matchup as a whole, I think the Hornets have a good lineup to play against them. And I think the Hornets could surprise some people in the first game, even without LaMelo there. Yeah, hopefully so. You know, obviously he he's kind of the the engine to everything the Hornets do. And I almost feel like it was a, you know, just kind of the icing on the cake, if you will, on a, a an offseason that was difficult. Let's just say that where you, you know, let's just start. You lose the play-in game again to the Hawks. Uh, I was actually in the Spectrum Center in Charlotte watching that game. They had a watch party and they put it up on the Jumbotron. And like halftime, it was a fairly close game. I think Atlanta was up, uh, I want to say they were up by eight. And third quarter, you just get run off the floor. Um, you fire the coach, Coach Borrego, who I- I'm curious to see what you guys think. I-, I thought he was doing a good job. I mean, I was kind of surprised when that news came down. Uh, and then obviously everything with, you know, Miles Bridges getting arrested, Lamelo, and-, and now Lamelo's hurt. It's like, okay, we got through all of that. A lot of bad stuff happened. The coaching search was just really weird. You had Kenny Atkinson, then you didn't have him. And now LaMelo's hurt. So it's like, what else can go wrong, right? But that's why they play the games. You got other guys got to step up and uh, we got to see what they can do. It's it's interesting that you describe it. You know, I think as fans throughout the offseason, a lot of us were saying, what else can go wrong? Starting way back in the beginning with the playing game, like you've noted. But it's been interesting to keep up with, you know, the beginning of the media appearances, starting with when Coach Clifford was hired all the way through the media appearances, you know, beginning with Summer League and then um, in the preseason and everything. And that's not the feel that the team has. Obviously, they're not going to come out and say that. Right. But I think you can kind of get like a little bit of a gut check on how a team is feeling. And the players, they seem really excited to get the season underway. It doesn't seem like the team is embracing the tank or I don't think they're also expecting to run to the Eastern conference playoffs or anything like that, but it doesn't seem like a team that is on the verge of let's just skip ahead to next year. Yeah, definitely not. And something I mentioned on the most recent episode of, uh, of this show, you know, tanking and not tanking, whatever the case we're kind of neutral parties, right? Like we, we, we're on the outside looking in and we say, Oh, this team should tank or this team shouldn't tank. And, 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 you know, that makes sense. Like it makes sense in terms of building the team up, but the guys on the team and the people in that building aren't uh, like tanking, you know, you don't account for people, human emotions. Right. And PJ Washington playing for a new contract is not going to go, be on board with tanking, right? Or Dennis Smith Jr., who is kind of fighting for a spot in the league at this point, isn't going to be on board with tanking. You know, a guy like James Booknight, who had a really rough year last year, isn't going to be on board with tanking. Now, maybe they're just not a good team, and that's fine, right? You get a high pick that way. But there's no way that people, like the players on the team, tank it. Like, again, it, it just doesn't account for human emotions. And you got guys in that building who are, you know, this is their career. So 
you know, you know, it's easier said than done. I think that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Curious to see, you know, any thoughts on that, you know, and again, the, the guys in the building, like that, look, sports is competitive by nature, right? You win or you lose. And these guys have come up playing AAU ball, high school, college, now in the pros. They're not going to go out there and, and be okay with, with a tank. Yeah. I think naturally just all the negativity around short Charlotte Hornets Twitter and just NBA Twitter in general leaves a bad taste in a lot of fans mouth like they think that all the fans are that negative but in reality a lot of fans do think a little bit more highly of the team and inside the building they're obviously not focused on the negativity like that so I think it can just be a little unrealistic if you are just specifically looking online in those areas for sure too. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Twitter is not, there's a lot of value to it, as we all know, but you also kind of have to, you know, okay, like I got to put the phone down for a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I know I've definitely had to do that. Uh, it leads me into this though, floor and ceiling for this team. What do you guys think is the best case and the worst case for this year? Uh, my, let's start with the ceiling, I guess. We'll start with some delusional optimism here. Um. I think best case scenario, we get into the play in tournament. If things go really well and the team clicks for those two games, maybe we can snag the eighth seed in the playoffs. I don't imagine that going that well against any of the seven teams we'd be behind, but you know, I think best case scenario, things roll players start to click. And some of the players that are coming out to make a statement and try to prove themselves, PJ um, book night, if Kai Jones sees any floor time this year, you know, there's a lot of players, like you mentioned before, that are trying to demonstrate that they have something to prove, especially under the new system with Clifford, if he stays on for the next couple of years. Right. Um, so if all of that really starts to click and gel and the team is working well together, I would think that maybe best case scenario is playing tournament with a couple wins, maybe getting into the eighth seed in the playoffs. But that is in my, in my, from my perspective, I would say uh, very, very, uh, best case yeah along the same lines i would say if the team was able to just rely on the veteran leadership and carry them to more wins they could be a frisky team that puts them in the plane maybe win a few games and get hot and see what happens but that is pretty high hopes for the hornets this year right i think i've basically maintained the whole time that the ceiling is what you were last year. I think you can get back to the plan as the 10th seed. It's just, it's, it's a bit of unfortunate timing really. And it hit you last year as well, that the East has gotten so much better the past few years. So it's great that Charlotte's gotten better. Like they, they, you know, objectively have improved their record the past few years. We'll see if it happens again this year, but the rest of the East got better. And oh yeah, by the way, they got better this off season, right? Cleveland gets Donovan Mitchell, New York gets Jalen Brunson, whether you think he was overpaid or not, he's a good player to add to your team. Right. So th the nets ended up, you know, we thought, are they going to trade KD? Are they going to trade Kyrie? They have the big three back there. They're adding Simmons this year as well. We'll see how that goes. And that's not even to mention, you know, Miami who was, uh, just like basically one minute away from getting to the finals, Boston, who did get to the finals, Chicago was a solid team last year. You know, you had Toronto, Washington, if Bradley Beal can stay healthy all year, could be a factor as well. You got these young teams. We'll see if Detroit can compete this year or Orlando, but they added good talent. You got Cade and uh, Cade in Detroit and Paolo down in uh, Orlando. 
man, it's just stacked. Like, I don't look at the East and see any just bad teams. Like, in the West, you got the Spurs tanking. You got the Jazz tanking. Like, there are some teams in the West who are just clearly not trying to compete this year. I really don't see that in the East outside of maybe Indiana. What do you guys think about that? And kind of how do you see the East playing out this year? I'll, I'll, I guess I'll take the take the lead on the beginning of this one then. Um, I think it's honestly going to play out pretty much the same way it did last year. I think the teams that got better were already obviously near the top. I think the team that is most is going to be most likely to make a big jump probably is Cleveland adding Donovan Mitchell and obviously, um, you know, having their, their other big three anyways, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, um, Darius Garland, adding Donovan Mitchell to that and watching them work together in the preseason has been some really good basketball. So uh, it should be scary hours in the Eastern conference. You mentioned that Brooklyn has KD and Kyrie back and we'll see what happens, I guess, throughout the season with that. If there's anything, any moves they're looking to make, depending on what their record looks like halfway through. Um, and then I was going to say also uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, Embiid coming back after some would argue being cheated out of an MVP last year against Jokic, right? Um, you have James Harden coming back who took less money this season so that the Sixers could put, put a better roster together. They brought in PJ Tucker, who is a really, really solid floor player. And then obviously we know they lost the Hornets lost Montrez Harrell to the Sixers this off season. And I was a huge fan of Montrez. I think he wasn't someone that was going to go out and put up, you know, 25 a night for you but he brought a lot of energy to a floor, which was really, really needed in Charlotte last year. And I think it's going to be a big boost for Philadelphia this year. So those are some of the teams I think are going to be poised to make a big jump. Yeah, you guys definitely said it, but the East is so stacked. And for a Hornets team that is just near the bottom, it's pretty difficult to see them line up with these teams and even have a real fighting chance, especially if the team doesn't stay healthy because they've had a lot of injuries in the preseason, but I guess we can see how that all shakes out as things go along. Yeah, I think Philly could definitely be a, a true contender, as you mentioned. The addition of Trez, I like. He's a guy who, not great on defense, but he can really run pick and pick and roll offense very well. And then you got Embiid there to, you know, if you're playing those two together, you don't really need Trez to lock down on D because we got Joel Embiid right next to him. And then the team that people I, I feel like are sleeping on, who I think could have gotten to the finals again last year, had their second best player not been injured. And that's Milwaukee. You know, they lose to Boston in seven with no Chris Middleton. Who knows what would have happened with him on the floor if he had been healthy for that series. And anytime you got Giannis, you got a chance. So it'll be fascinating. It's gonna be, it's gonna be competitive, no doubt about that. In the East that uh this year, rather. And that leads me into this, guys, with the Hornets roster as currently constructed. So you know, whether they make a trade or anything happens. Who do you see being the MVP of this team? And who do you see being the most improved player of this team? Just Hornets roster as it is today. I would probably start off by saying that with Lomelo being out, a lot of the ball dominant responsibility is going to fall onto the shoulders of Terry Rogier. And they don't love to put him or they didn't love to put him in the role last year as much as they could help it. But I think if he has a good season and can distribute the ball really well, especially to start out and his shots are falling, I think he could really be the MVP for the upcoming season. 
Yeah, I think um, it, the easy answer is Lamelo if he stays healthy, and a lot of the a lot of the work is going to fall to him for sure. I think someone to keep an eye on for this category though is Gordon Hayward. I know he's had his injury problems, but again, delusional optimism is going to be the theme going into this season. If he can stay healthy, maybe work on his haircut a little bit. I think uh, if we can get the good old Gordon Hayward back, there's a chance that he can go out and put up 20 a night and do what he has to do to help this team move forward. I think a lot of people are discounting him and kind of throwing him out, especially with all of the trade rumors for him over the last year, year and a half, right? But there's a good chance that he can really go out and give this team the veteran leadership it needs, especially if Lamelo's out as well. Right. I think any path to a a successful season in terms of wins and losses, it's got to include Terry and Gordon playing at a high level. I mean, they're probably out at your two best veteran players. And you got Mason Plumley as well, starting at the five. You got Kelly Oubre coming off the bench as well. And I think really where, yeah, clearly the answer is LaMelo in terms of just like, if you remove this guy, what happens to the team? And I always go back to the wins and losses with Gordon Hayward, like the record with him and without him. It's astounding. He's played 93 games with Charlotte. They're 50 and 43. And then the two years he's missed, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they have a losing record without him, right? So they're just a completely different team without that guy. They really don't have anybody else on the roster who can replicate his skill set. You don't have a lot of guys like, as like we all know Charlotte as, especially last year, they play really, really fast. They score a lot of points and they don't really defend all that much. And Gordon Hayward can get out in transition, but he also can play in the midcourt, right? Can get his own shot good mid-range shooter, can also knock down threes. And, and he's, you know, decent defensively. I mean, he's lost a step with age and with injuries, but he's at least serviceable on defense, right? He, he's he's not bad on defense, which he can't say for a lot of these guys on the roster. So I go back to him as well. And then for most improved, I think the guy who is going to have the opportunity to do it is P.J. Washington. I mean, you lose Miles Bridges. P.J.'s a guy who... I think consistency is the key for him. But when he has good games, like his first game as a rookie, he, he, you know, they, they beat the Bulls, I believe it was, in his first game as a rookie. He made eight three-pointers or seven three-pointers, you know, just lit it up. He's had a 40-point game before uh, two seasons ago. You know, consistency is the name of the game for that guy. And if he can really just improve in that area, I think he has a chance to do some big things this year. Yeah, and I think PJ has a really good chance to shine this year as well under Coach Clifford. We all know Coach Clifford coached the uh, Hornets before Borrego took over, and now we're back to to Clifford here. But when Clifford coached the Hornets before, they were one of the better defensive teams in the NBA, which was shocking going back and looking at that. But it's true, they were one of the better defensive teams. And then on media days, you have PJ coming in and saying, you know, I'm locked in on defense. That's what I want to be known for, and and it's what I've been working on. And he looks leaner. He looks ready. And I think he's going to get the chance to shine this season. So I think I would go with you. He's going to be one of the better options for most improved. Yeah, I think PJ is going to get a lot of looks in the offense. Um, He did get a lot of shots last year. And quite a few times you said that he wasn't quite as consistent as he wanted to be. But I think if those shot, shots really start to fall, I think he could have really a really good season this year. <clears throat> Another guy I wanted to mention for this category was Nick Richards coming off the bench. He obviously did not get very many minutes last year aside from those starts he had from injuries. But I think 
he has put in a lot of work in the offseason, and even in the preseason games, you could see he's faster, he's finishing more, he's playing better on defense. A lot of times last year, he was just a second late to the ball on both ends, and I think if he can get that cleaned up, he will have a good year this year. Yeah, Richard's a guy who Steve Clifford seems to be very high on, said he's had a terrific offseason. And Richards impressed me in preseason. Like I was not a huge believer going into this year. And when, when the Clifford quote, you know, was, was revealed, I, I kind of had to, you know, I was like, what really? Like he's, <laughs> you know, and he's second string. We got Mark Williams. We drafted to what he's third string now and where minutes going to come for him. But you know, Hey, like if nothing else, he's going to make Mark Williams better. He's going to make him have to earn those minutes and, and more talent in the room it's kind of like the rising tide lifts all ships, right? So if Nick Richards can play well, in turn, that's going to make Mark Williams have to play better. It's going to make Mason Plumley have to play better, and it's going to help all parties involved. So, yeah, that, definitely a good name to mention. And I wanted to mention something else as well. Of the young guys, right, we always talk about and you hear about the young talent in Charlotte, and a lot of that has to do with LaMelo and PJ and Miles Bridges um, when he was around and you look now and the young guys and you got, you know, Kai Jones, James Booknight, JT Thor. Now you add Mark Williams, uh, Bryce McGowan's has done some good things in, uh, in preseason ball as well. Of those young guys, just so just two, last two draft classes, we'll say. Who do you kind of see, you know, emerging from that group this year, if any? Um, one name that I think could really emerge is James Booknight. Obviously, we've seen Coach Clifford's comments on him over the offseason. They've been working together a lot. And last year, he had some differences with the coaching staff and didn't quite get as many minutes. So I think with a lot of minutes, he'll see big jumps in his development this year. And I think by the end of the year, we could have more than just a developmental player there. And there is room within the rotation, especially at the guard position right now for him. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Book Knight has a is going to uh, get some minutes this season, and a lot of people I think are downplaying how well I think he's going to end up doing, especially when he started out cold in the preseason, not hitting a shot in the first three or four games. Um, but I mean, you kind of have to look back at when he came in and how he came into the organization, right? He was a pretty high draft pick. He, someone that gets drafted at that high of a level in the draft, you'd think they're going to kind of step in, get some minutes, get some time and let's see how they do in the league. That wasn't the case for him. Borrego didn't play book night a whole lot. And we obviously all know the, I don't want to call it an altercation, but the little dust up they had during their one game last season, obviously they were both cool with each other by the end of the season, I think at least publicly, but he didn't get the, the attention. I think that he deserved last season and he injured his wrist during the off season. So he didn't get the time during summer league. So I think it's only natural that he's going to come out a little bit cold during preseason, but I think if he gets the time he should, and he's one of the players that Clifford has also mentioned as being um, someone he's got his eye on. I think he's going to impress this season. Yeah. I think the opportunity is there for him. It's up to him to, you know, obviously take advantage of it, but he'll, he'll get the run. I think he'll get the opportunity and, I think a lot of people, in a, in a way, it's almost like he's a rookie all over again because we really didn't see him that much last year. Then he was hurt in the summer, didn't play in the summer league, which was unfortunate. I think that would have been really good for him. So, And his new coaching staff, you know, as you mentioned, kind of the well-documented issues that happened last year. 
So in a way, to me, it feels like he's a rookie again. And we it, he's obviously not, but like it feels like it's kind of okay, like fresh start. Let's see what you can do. So that's very exciting. A guy I'm I'm pretty high on as well. Flash some good things in the preseason. JT Thor. And he kind of mm-hmm. plays a position where like Book Knight, you know, he like hopefully plays well, right? Like I think we're all rooting for the same thing. But he's also got Rogier ahead of him. He's got Cody Martin playing the same position as well. Now you add uh, Theo Maladon from the Thunder, who who joined just a couple days ago. But JT Thor, kind of a, 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 I'll call it like a stretch four wing kind of a guy. You know, he's a big, he's a front court player. And you have plenty of front court guys. You know, you got PJ and you got Jalen McDaniels. But JT Thor, I think, really little known stat, actually. He actually played the most games with the Hornets of any of the rookies last year. Like he played more than Book Knight, played more than Kai Jones. He's a guy who, he might not end up being the best of that group long-term. I think Book Knight could end up being better. I think Kai Jones could end up being better. But JT Thor, I think, might be the closest to his ceiling right now, if that makes sense, right? Because, like, Kai Jones didn't even start playing basketball until he was 15. James Book Knight basically didn't, didn't play with the Hornets at all last year, and then he got hurt this summer. So I think Thor kind of is a little bit ahead of those guys. Again, he might not be the better player, at the end of his career, but I think he might be closer to contributing this year. And I'm excited to see if he can do that. Uh, Mark Williams as well. Curious to get your thoughts on him. What do you guys see his role being this year? Is he going to be, you know, in the rotation this year? For me, I was shocked um, when it came out that Nick Richards was going to be the backup center and um, Mark Williams was going to be the third string. I was really high on Mark Williams. I was actually really high on Jalen Duran. So I was very excited when they drafted him very crushed when they immediately traded him away. Um, but I was very high when, on Mark Williams when they took him two picks later. So I was very excited to see how he's going to do. If he gets playing time, I think he is going to impress, but I think he's going to have a tough time getting those minutes, you know, barring any injury to, Plumley or Nick Richards, or if the Hornets make some kind of move this offseason and package those two together. I don't know what that looks like, but I think Mark Williams is unfortunately going to have a tough time getting some minutes. But you saw his improvement in summer league. You saw his improvement in preseason from game to game. He's a guy that has an absolutely terrifying presence for the opponent for the opposing team in the paint. This man can play defense, he can put up blocks, and I think he should be the backup, but was also impressed by Nick Richards. So We'll have to see what happens there. Yeah, definitely. I think having him third is an interesting place in the depth chart because it's more of like an earn your role deal. And the more work he puts in and the better he gets when he does get to flash time in the in regular games, then I think he'll be more fit for it. He'll be ready to go. And yeah, definitely on the defensive end, he could have a huge huge factor there going forward yeah and the one thing that i i go back to that is a little bit encouraging i think there will be more minutes at center this year than there were last year and by that i mean this like you you obviously uh, you know montrez harrell is now with philadelphia pj washington will be starting at power forward he played some small ball center last year so if he's playing at power forward i don't think you also play him at small ball center so you'll have Plumley start Richards begins as second string and Williams at third string, but I'm not sure you have anybody else who you feel comfortable putting at the five. There is no Trez. There is no PJ playing at the five. We, we don't think he'll do that. 
you know, Vernon Carey, you traded at midseason last year. So I do think, you know, at least the the rotation in terms of the number of guys will be a little smaller. And that helps a guy like Mark Williams, who currently sits third in that rotation. And he's also a guy who I go back to this. It's kind of a bigger point that I make. Like, what is the direction of the Hornets franchise, right? Like, it needs to be kind of a consistent message, right? Like, the moves that your front office makes, the the coaching decisions that you make, the roster that you have, the, the rotations that you use, they all kind of need to be on the same page, right? Like, and I feel like that was the frustration of some people last year, and it really showed itself with the whole James Booknight situation, it's like, are we trying to win now? Are we trying to be a playoff team or are we trying to develop the young guys? Cause a lot of times those two things are not, you know, synonymous. So Mark Williams, I think we could all agree at this point it is more of a long-term piece for the Hornets than Mason Plumley, right? Like Mason, but Mason Plumley right here, you know, in October of 2022 is probably, probably is, you know, has been in the NBA for several years. He's a veteran. Like he's just more ready to play at the NBA level than Mark Williams, right? Because Mark Williams literally has never played in an NBA game. So it goes back to this. It's like, what is the direction? Are we competing or are we not competing? Are we developing or are we trying to win games now? I'm not sure we have a good answer to that. And uh, it feels like they're trying to do both at the same time, which is fine. But I think then you end up with situations like James Booknight last year, and we'll see how it manifests with Mark Williams this year. It has been very frustrating as a fan of the team to not get a consistent message on that, so I do agree. If I knew that the team was in win-now mode, I think it shifts expectations of the season. Maybe you set your hopes a little bit higher because you have to trust that Clifford and Kupchak have a plan. If they're telling you, like, look, we want to win, but we recognize that we don't have the pieces right now to get to that point. We want to develop these players in two or three years. These players are going to be great. And we're going to have a really solid team of guys that have played together for years and years. And we're going to make that push, but it's probably not happening this season. I think you can also temper expectations at that point as well. So it is frustrating and a little bit confusing, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to root for the team anyways. Yeah, you guys are definitely right. It is frustrating from a fan perspective, especially. Um, one question I had for you guys, do you think if the team does poorly and is more in like the rebuilding, tanking, whatever you want to call it mode, do you think that LaMelo does stay past his rookie deal? Do you think he stays in Charlotte long-term? It's so tough because f- financially it makes the most sense to, right? Like that's the way that everything is structured is to get these guys to stay with the teams that drafted them. And it quite honestly, for, for a team like Charlotte, that's not going to be able to just go sign a guy like LaMelo out of free agency unless they draft him. Right. So from that standpoint, yeah. And he's the kind of guy who I'm not sure that going home and being with the Lakers is going to be super attractive to him. Cause he, he saw that happen with Lonzo and it didn't really work out for Lonzo. And now Lonzo has become a very good player after he left the Lakers. So, you know, that's interesting, but you got to give him a reason to stay too, beyond just, Hey, well, we drafted you, so you should stay. Right. And, and you do need to at least put something around him. That's Hey, like we're, we're supporting you here in Charlotte. Right. So it's very tricky at this point, I would say, yes, he stays, but 
you know, you're going to have to at least give him a reason to stay, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I do think, you know, LaMelo came out. I can't remember if it was this offseason or towards the end of last season. You know, he came out in an interview or in an article and said, you know, I want to do what you're supposed to do in sports. You get drafted to a team, you work to build it, and then you pursue a championship there. Same as Giannis said back when he started with Milwaukee, right? But I think a lot of people say that. Not a lot of people mean it because the NBA is a business. People want the biggest contracts they can get. People want to win. So hopefully another year of subpar results wouldn't drive LaMelo to leave. You know, hopefully he kind of sticks to his word here. I think the people of Charlotte really love him. They recognize that he's the cornerstone of the franchise at this point. So I think let's see what we can do. And hopefully, you know, he will stick around. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to track this season, though, no doubt. Uh, Something I wanted to ask you guys, too, just kind of point blank, you know, what do you think the team does this year? Like, if you have to put a final record prediction out there on the air, what do you see happening this year? Without any roster moves, I ran through I ran through the schedule maybe two or three days ago. Just literally took me four minutes and maybe just going game by game, assuming rosters don't change, which they will, and injuries don't happen, which they also will. I, I honestly think we're looking at like 25 to 30 wins. I think we're coming in at the under, which is disappointing to myself to look at that, you know, as a fan of the team. But I also try to be a little bit of a realist. And I think that's ultimately where we're going to end up. I think we're going to hit the under. And you mentioned before the line was 34 and a half, at least on the, um, you know, with the odds makers that you were looking at. Yeah, I think generally I'm a little higher on the season. But if I had to put a record out there, I would probably go with around 36, 37 wins. That would leave, I don't know what the math is there. The rest are losses. But I think, I mentioned it before, just the veteran leadership. I think that'll be enough to catch some teams off guard and win some games that they're definitely not supposed to. And I think if you get enough of those, it could be at 36, 37 wins for the year. Yeah, it's, it is difficult in basketball, I think, as opposed to, you know, maybe football to go game by game because you mentioned it. We don't know injuries, which I guess football you wouldn't either, but, you know, the scheduling and whether the team you're playing has rest days or not. And and so many right. things are, 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 you know, in the NBA, not that it's ever easy to win, but, you know, hey, we've had two days rest. This team's on the second half of a back-to-back. It's at our place. You know, they're without – their second best player or something and and kind of sneak into town on a Tuesday night and get a win. Right. And not every game is like the biggest game. So I think with a guy like coach Clifford and a team like Charlotte, that at least right now is angling to try to compete for the play in yet again, I kind of see it. I think mid thirties is a fair over under. I mean, I think the odds makers, the people who set these generally are fairly close. Right. So but I'm I'm thinking, and you're you're now without Lamelo for the first at least couple games of the year, ankle injuries and sprains. I mean, it's stuff that can linger for a while if you don't get it right when it happens, right? So I don't want them to rush him back. It's kind of a catch twenty two. It's like we need him on the floor, but we also got to think about the long term here. We can't rush him back, you know, before he's ready to play. If I had to say, I think I'll go. 34 and 48. I think they can get to that kind of low to mid thirties on just 
hey, Terry Rozier got hot from three tonight and put up 25 points and we won a game. Hey, Gordon Hayward's going to have a couple nights here and there that he looks like, you know, all-star Gordon Hayward. Kelly Oubre might go out and make eight threes in a quarter again and win you a game, right? And LaMelo, when he's back and when he's ready, is going to win you some games. But the East is as good as I think it's probably ever been in our lifetimes, like just top to bottom. You know, maybe there's not one team that's better, but just throughout the conference, there's so many good teams. You got the, you know, obviously your Western Conference opponents you have to play as well. So it's tough, but I kind of see it right there. Unless something happens, that's just a, a a major move that gets made, right? That that would change that one way or the other. So I so I just have the uh, the lowest expectations for the team this year. Good good to know, but you know, I will set myself up for success to be surprised when they do win 34, 35 games this year. Right. And I will say on on Lamelo's injury, I saw this on Twitter the other day. So. Lamelo's injury is very similar, apparently, to the ankle injuries that have been suffered by Trey Young, John Morant, and Mike Connolly in the past. And if you take a look at some of those similar injuries, the average time lost there was seven games or about 19 days, give or take. So if you extrapolate that out for Lamelo and the injury he got, you know, before the season even started, hopefully he won't miss too much time to start the season. So maybe not too much of a negative impact on the record. Obviously, like you mentioned, a lot of that does have to a lot of what will come into play is how he responds to the rehab and how his team, you know, kind of helps him through that process. But I'm hopeful at least that he won't miss too much time to start the season. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a guy, you know, not that it's similar at all to the uh, injury he had as a rookie, but, you know, I remember had that wrist injury and we all thought he was out. I mean, it was announced he was out for the year and he ended up coming back. So maybe he is just a guy who has a knack for, you know, getting back on the floor in a in a quick manner so hopefully so for the hornets i mean they're going to need them no doubt yeah let's hope so yeah all right guys well thank you for joining the show we'll go ahead and get you out of here uh before we do that though go ahead and drop your twitter handle so the listeners can go give you a follow kind of let them know what you do uh with your show and kind of what the deal is so you can find us on twitter and instagram both at queen city ctrlrm short for control room and uh it's a weekly NBA and Hornets podcasts coming out. Just our first episode is dropping today. Actually it's out on Spotify right now and it's going to come out on Apple podcasts later tonight. Um, we're going to go through and cover the NBA as a whole, but with a major focus on the Hornets and what they're doing throughout the season. Yep. Well said, Nick. Thanks for having us on Evan. Yeah. Thank you, Evan. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you guys for making the time. Hopefully we'll get, uh, get you in here again soon. Be talking about a, uh, a surprisingly frisky play-in level Hornets team. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you guys. Y'all take it easy. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you everybody for tuning into the show. We'll see you next Monday. Go Hornets.